This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. Yesterday, March 11th, marked two years since the new coronavirus pandemic was declared by the World Health Organization and dramatically changed the world. Canada's long-term care sector experienced an unprecedented crisis. We were forced to isolate for long periods away from family, friends, and other loved ones. And snowbirds experienced disruptions to their travel plans. But in recent weeks after the Omicron crisis, the pandemic appears to be taking a turn for the better, although not to the point that the World Health Organization will declare it over. The governing Ford PCs at Queen's Park eased most of their COVID-19 restrictions, which means business owners of gyms, restaurants and cinemas are no longer required to ask customers for proof of COVID vaccination. Also on Wednesday, it was announced by the province's chief medical officer that Ontario's mask mandate ends for most indoor settings on March 21st. And in an additional sign of positive change, Toronto Mayor John Tory declared that major public gathering events will resume this year, including Doors Open Toronto and the St. Patrick's Day Parade March 20th. So where does this put you if you've been hesitant to get back to normal? And how has the pandemic changed you personally and permanently? Joining me on Monday to ponder these questions, an abbreviated Zoomer squad, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer of CARP. I think many of our CARP members are thinking, is this, you know, too much too soon? Is it time? Uh, is it time yet to do it? There's real um, um, uncertainty in many people's minds after the after the heavy-handed uh, approach of governments telling us what to do, now we end up with having things come off quickly when there still seems to be a good deal of COVID around us. So it, it's, uh, it's and, and confusion about uh, what they can do and what they can't do to protect their own health. Daryl, over to you now, uh, your thoughts um, as a pollster. How are people feeling, especially people who are 55, 65, 75 plus at this point in the pandemic? Well, there's a diversity of opinions on this. That's the, one of the interesting things. It's not like uh, people all are thinking one way about this. And when you take a look at how the population divides itself out, um, you'll find that there are people who can't wait to get out there. But uh, just as Bill said, there's also a group of the population that is going to take them some incentive, um, and that incentive probably would be seeing other people being successful and you know, their friends and family and, and, uh, and social circle being successful, re-engaging. But when you particularly look at, uh, at the older segment, 
they're not as keen in general as re- to quickly re-engage as uh, the younger segment. If you, you want to see the population that's most, um, I would say, desirous of, of getting out there and uh, re-engaging with everything that they used to recognize as their lives, it tends to be more younger people, but not exclusively younger people. And does the vaccination part of it factor into people's decisions as to whether they're going to go sit in a restaurant, uh, whether they've been double or triple vaccinated? Well, the part of the issue that we're dealing with here in Canada is that so many people have been vaccinated. It's actually kind of hard to find people who haven't been. So, um, you know, in the city of Toronto, I think the number is about 10 percent. Uh, that, that haven't at least had one uh, vaccination. So it's, it's, it's less about that and more about how safe people are going to feel as a result of that vaccine going back into a public environment. And, and you have a diversity of views. There's a people, you turn on the lights, they're ready to jump out there all the way through to, I really have to convince, be convinced that this is absolutely safe before I will ever consider it. And then a whole sort of series of gradients in between. So, uh, you know, as I, I tell people when they ask me this question, it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a supply problem. There's lots of opportunities to go to go out there, and, and to a certain extent, it's not a demand problem either. People do want to get back out there, but there's this barrier, which is, first of all, understanding that what they're going to be experiencing is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth taking the risk, and that, the, and and then after that, whether or not the risks are manageable, and and that's what people need to sort out in their minds right now. So imagine a whole population that's sitting there on the edge of the pool, kind of sticking their toe in, trying to figure out whether or not it's okay to jump back in. Well, that's interesting then. So you're saying your age is not dependent on how you're feeling about getting into the pool. <laughs> yeah, and there's a certain tendency that older people are a, a bit more reluctant, but it's not exclusively older people. Uh, there's a lot of older people who just want to get back out there as well. As we approach uh, two years, Bill, I mean, any personal thoughts uh, on this anniversary? Uh, yeah, it's been a tough, long two years for all of us. We're also anxious to get back to uh, uh, the uh, certainly not going to be back to back to normal, but it will be a reasonable facsimile. And the key for all of us is to do our best to manage our own health with the best information we can get from the best sources. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. On Monday, we discussed how Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine is affecting Canadians of Ukrainian heritage. This past Sunday, thousands gathered for a rally in support of Ukraine here in Toronto in front of the Russian consulate on St. Clair, east of Young. This well-attended event took place a week after the mega rally for Ukraine, which included a march from Young Dundas Square to Nathan Phillips Square. These Sunday events will continue and are organized by members of the Toronto branch of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. Among them, Markian Shvek, who joined me for a conversation on Monday. Uh, everyone is watching the news, and every time you see a, a bomb go off or a family yesterday, I saw a witness on TV, uh, a bomb land, and uh, eight people were killed and four were from the same family, and you see two, two children lying there dead uh, for doing nothing but trying to get to safety. Uh, those kind of images are distressing. 
No, they absolutely are. And I was just speaking with my previous guest, also Ukrainian-Canadian, and she's saying that she has to take time away from the news just to clear her head because it's so overwhelming. Yeah, I do as well. We uh, we have uh, organized that we just stand with Ukraine committee and we organize the rallies in the Toronto area. And we send instructions to teams on what's going on. And we're expecting, uh, you know, a lot more to, to be worse, a lot more than it is today. And then I actually do the opposite. I watch the news at night because it's the only time I have free and I go to bed with all those images in my mind and wake up the next day and start again. So it's a, I, I'm a news junkie and I watch everything. I watch the analytics and the more I learn, the more I want to work and to help Ukraine. The shows of solidarity, the showing of solidarity from the people of, of Toronto. How has that made you feel? Oh, it's been terrific. We had yesterday, um, you know, most of the uh, the people from Eastern Europe represented with us. We had uh, folks from the Jewish community come out. We had people from Southeast Asian communities who are afraid of China, of course, and and uh, the the communist influence there. Um, those are the people, and then regular Canadians coming off the street to support us, and it it just bolsters you because you realize that you're not alone in this uh, in this fight. People, what I'm hearing from people, whether they're of Ukrainian background or not, is they're feeling helpless. How can I help when I'm over here in Canada? What can I do? How can I make a difference? Uh, Your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Great. Thanks. So a few things. Um, You can, you know, contact your MP and just ask them to provide more support to Ukraine. Canada is not a big supplier of lethal weapons, and, and we know that. But what Canada can supply, there are so many volunteers on the front line. You can imagine young men and women volunteering. They're going out in their running shoes or a pair of boots and a ski jacket to the front line. They have no bulletproof vests. We need to get any bulletproof vests we can get to them. They need they need uh, uh, boots that they can they can fight in. They're going out in their shoes, and and that's inappropriate for that kind of uh, terrain and weather. They need other defensive equipment. They need scopes for their rifles. They need night vision goggles so they can see the Russians invading them and stop them at night. Every platoon needs at least one pair, and they're like two and a half thousand dollars. We've sent hundreds of pairs of these uh, of these scopes and and jackets. But if anybody out there can get us any kind of of uh, bulletproof vests, jackets, scopes, anything defensive to protect those young people, uh, we'd be immensely immensely pleased. And you can contact the Ukrainian Canadian Congress in Toronto, and uh, and we'd be we'd be so grateful. All the information at ucc.ca, also, of course, redcross.ca for humanitarian aid to Ukraine. How confident can Canadians be in knowing that if they make a donation, that that money will go to buy supplies or to help the people in Ukraine? Well, you know, um, I will say one thing. Everybody who manages funds from the Ukrainian community in Canada, or first of all, we know them personally, so they can be very sure. Number two is... The administration fees are so infinitesimally small in our on our funds because we don't Amazing. have big administrations mm-hmm. to feed. I um, know you're you know, you're all volunteers, right? <laughs> absolutely, just yeah. you know, ninety nine point nine percent are volunteers. So if people donate either cash to us and or those goods for defensive purposes. We will take care of it. We know how to get it there. We have an efficient supply line. Uh, the poles are very good at the border. The Ukrainians are good at the border, and we have teams in Ukraine in the western capital who delivered out to the Eastern Front. They send out vans every day with equipment, uh, loyal people who risk getting bombed and attacked, and they are driving that equipment right to the front lines. 
Markyan Shvek of the Toronto branch of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, our strategy panelists offer their opinions on how Western and NATO leaders are standing up to Vladimir Putin. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It is one man's war. And except for the leadership in a couple of countries who are sympathetic to the Russian dictator, it is Vladimir Putin against the entire world. This was the focus of my conversation on Tuesday with Fight Back Strategy Panel. Conservative strategist John Capobianco, senior vice president, senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, former liberal Ontario finance minister Charles Souza, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. I think that it should be called Putin's war. Um, and it's not a Russian invasion. It's really Vladimir Putin is invading Ukraine. Right. Um, and and I, and, I, and I think that the more that he gets isolated in that discussion, that the more the Russians could potentially feel emboldened to stand up to what's happening. Because I, I think right now there's, there's, there's no path out of this. I know that the decision to ban Russian oil will cause gas prices to increase. But, you know, certainly the conversations I've been having with friends and family, and again, back to the dog park example, like we're willing to bear that because he can't be successful. And if it takes paying a little bit more at the pump, if it takes a little bit of hardship on our end, which is so minor compared to what's happening in the Ukraine, then we need to be able to do it because he cannot be successful in this invasion. It, it cannot happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that our global leaders are recognizing that there are some constraints to their ability to, to be proactive in um, waging a war against Russia because it's not Russia. It is one man. It is one man, and he needs to be held to account, and he needs to not be in the position that he can be victorious in this. Charles, how is the world doing against Vladimir Putin? Well, I am. I'm proud of Canada stepping up, bringing more troops to Latvia and to show some strength. Um, you can't underestimate Putin, certainly. I mean, he wants to make the West and NATO look weak. Um, he knows that, uh, you know, the no-fly zone and, and, and the, the, the moment we uh, start to engage in Poland and, and in the airspace of Ukraine is a it's it's very dangerous stuff, and he's a very calculated individual. I can't underestimate Putin. Some may say he's suicidal. I don't think he is, and I think someone wrote about that. I I'm hoping that the Russian people will up will be an uprise. That there'll be a revolt from within. Um, you know, if Zelensky is killed, that'll make it even more of a delicate situation for the West because then we're in a position of responsibility as well. Um, so. We need to stand united, and I think Putin underestimated the West and NATO's ability to, to be more united than before. Will they act? And everyone's afraid to do so because the consequences are dire. Uh, it's a just, I don't, I'm, I'm not a meta, you know, I'm not a strategist when it comes to, to defense in the military. I'm proud to see what we're doing. John, Ukraine cannot fall because as soon as Ukraine falls, then we have Putin marching into NATO countries. And that could be devastating for the world. So the balancing act, as I see it, is the NATO leaders need to fuel Ukraine without officially crossing that line and uh, allowing Ukraine to be part of NATO. 
Well, and I, you know, so the one thing that that sticks to me in this last couple of weeks with this is the resilience of the Ukrainian people and, and sort of the, the fact that they've been able to stop um, the Russian army or at least slow them down. I think that is the story. And, and it's and it's right, right from the President Zelensky all the way down to, to every man and woman who's, who's working that war. So that's a huge story. And I do agree, though, Jane, with respect to NATO. And, and you know, there's some, some early criticisms of NATO not really being able to you know, sort of lean in on this in a way that, that everybody's expecting to. But, but Canada, UK, um, and other countries, other G7 countries and other countries in NATO are stepping up and are putting up the resistance and are trying to push back on this. I think the biggest issue the U.S. has in not sending in troops is they don't want to make it a U.S.-Russia war, mm-hmm. uh, which can turn into a World War III, but they are trying to do everything they can by making it tough for, for Putin specifically to continue on with the war. I think that's, that's, a, that's a decent positive sign moving forward. Conservative strategist John Capobianco, senior vice president, senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, former liberal Ontario finance minister Charles Souza, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Fightback's Tuesday strategy panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Tuesday, we marked International Women's Day with a special guest, well-known to people in the GTA, particularly the residents of Mississauga. Mayor Bonnie Crombie has been mayor of Mississauga since 2014, after taking over from the legendary Hazel McCallion, who'd been mayor since 1978. Mayor Crombie joined me on International Women's Day to offer her reflections. It's a great day to celebrate the achievements of women, whether they're social, economic, cultural, or political achievements. And you mentioned off the top the name of my most inspiring mentor and friend, Hazel McCallion. She's pretty incredible, and I think she did great things. We're gonna, I want to talk to you about two things when I, as I have your attention. First is the meritocracy in Mississauga, and secondly, the She Session. So Hazel created opportunities for women by by being prepared. Those women who deserved it succeeded. And you will see today that 58% of my council, uh, 6 out of 11 of us, include include me, that's (laughs) we're overrepresented with women, not over, but it's equal, Uh, 6 out of 12, 50%. Two of my four commissioners are women. My former city manager was a woman. The chief of my fire department is a woman. The person who runs our hospitals is a woman. And 47% of my managers um, are women. So we're doing pretty well in Mississauga, led, of course, by the groundbreaking, trailblazing Hazel McCallion. But today we're seeing, you know, with the effects of COVID and the disparities that COVID has caused um, in the economic recovery. So first in the economy and now in the recovery. And, you know, that's something worth talking about and worth thinking about. We heard about this she session, of course, and the impact that it had on women because uh, in businesses where women are largely employed, suffered the greatest lockdowns. Uh, and it really impacted the hospitality industry, food services, and personal care providers. Uh, and so largely these sectors uh, employ a lot of women and these women were forced to find jobs in, in other, in other sectors or, you know, stay home and collect the financial benefit of the CERB or scale back. Um, and when you think about it, uh, women have always had predominant share of responsibility at home, whether it came to household responsibilities, children caring for elderly parents, but during COVID, 
even more so. Not that the dads didn't, but when you think about who stepped in to ensure that the kids were doing their online classes and being taken care of, all while still maintaining their own responsibilities and managing their careers, it was women. So we see a lot of women. Yeah, a lot of women are leaving their professions, leaving their jobs, and choosing greater flexibility. We've seen women opting out of the corporate world previously for flexibility, and now we're seeing it in many, many more sectors. In fact, I'll just give you one more stat, and then we can talk a little more about this, but 25% of all women were thinking of leaving the workforce because of the pandemic, but more so acute for South Asian women. Almost half, 47% of South Asian women are looking at leaving the workforce altogether because of the pandemic. What have you learned from Hazel that you can tell us in just a couple of minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So as you know, I adore her. We all do. She's lovable and she's iconic and she does it naturally. And she succeeded in an era where women just weren't in senior management positions. There weren't women in C-suites. And she was a woman who was, you know, really trailblazed her own path. And, you know, she tells us to just be prepared. Women have to work twice as hard to be half as effective. So women in particular, do your homework, she always taught us. You be the best prepared person in the room. And then, of course, have your voice heard because, we, as you and I both often know, that women tend to get spoken over at the boardroom table and somebody else takes credit for our, our ideas. And Hazel would be the first one to say to be assertive have your voice heard, but be prepared, do your homework. All of us here cite those, uh, uh, those words of wisdom that Hazel McCallion always said, do your homework and be prepared. Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie on International Women's Day this past Tuesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Barry in North York called about Russian propaganda during Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine. Something that maybe a lot of people don't know, Um, I have a friend of mine who has a pen pal in Ukraine. She's in Crimea, and she believes that um, Putin is her father, because that's the information she's getting. She's getting, uh, Putin is protecting us from the Nazis, Mm. and um, he's just doing such a great job, and we support him 100%. And she says, "Well, well, what about the information that we're getting here in Canada, United States? Oh, that's all fake, because that's all propaganda, she says. So um, it's something that uh, never, that's a problem. I don't know how they're going to um, deal with that. Seaham in Toronto called to reflect on the two-year anniversary of the pandemic. Thank God we're, uh, we're safe. Um, myself, my husband, we're two seniors. We have two uh, young families and uh, grandchildren. We've been, you know, holding up. It's not the same, but... Uh, um, we just have to deal with what's going on, and we're hopeful things are going to be better. 
Uh, my concern is with the opening, um, wide opening, are the grandchildren. We have four grandchildren aged one to four, and uh, they're not vaccinated. Uh, they've been restricted, of course, um, uh, no travel, nothing, and we've been very careful. And I'm not sure what does this mean for the younger children and the younger families, because they are still struggling with the child having even a cold or uh, they keep, uh, you know, it's, it's a major, major disruption for young uh, families. David and Barry phoned to say that his behavior going forward will be forever changed by the pandemic. The COVID-19, it, it's affected myself and my wife permanently. We celebrate every week and are thankful that, that we're alive, survived this. And going forward, when we go to public, just to, just to go shopping, we'll wear gloves and wear a mask, regardless of whether COVID-19 was successfully beaten down, eradicated, because we realized how quickly a new variant or a new virus could prop up. You could be affected by that without even knowing it, that it's running loose. And that's just a method going forward to protect ourselves and to keep our health. And then when we're in our own house, we, uh, we tend to use a lot more um, uh, cleaning solutions for doorknobs, such that we don't pass anything to anybody else or, or ourselves. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Dennis in Brampton, who phoned about how the pandemic has changed him as an individual. I think it boils down to each of us has to take at our own uh, comfort level with what degree of risk we're willing to take. I'm 76 years of age, and I, for one, am going back uh, to my life the way that it was. Uh, that will also include uh, going back and volunteering at an urgent care center where I've been furloughed for the last two years because of COVID. I just feel that, uh, for me at least, uh, you know, time is going by each day. Uh, you know, we see world events. We don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow, six months from now, or a year. So I'm looking forward to, to going back and I've been to restaurants. I will, however, wear my N95 mask on a consistent basis. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-367. 9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.